Good morning. I'm Bradley, and uh, you can call me Bradley because um, I have to go by Bradley my whole life. My best friend's name was Brad growing up. My brother-in-law's name is Brad, and your pastor's name is Brad. So to di differentiate, just call me Bradley. Okay, that'll work for me. Um, I work for World Vision. <clears throat> I am the... Um, Events director for the area, the Twin Cities area, including this area as well. So, um, just want to tell you guys a little bit more about um, about that. Before I kind of begin on Team World Vision and World Vision and all that great stuff, um, I want to introduce myself to you. Uh, know this morning, though, that that um, in addition to, of course, trying to convey to you uh, the mission of Team World Vision and uh, the ministry of World Vision in general, um, my desire is that you would walk away from today knowing, um, at least in some part better, how to actually live out the gospel in your community. Okay? So that's my goal for you to take away. If you have one goal to walk away with today, how do I live out the gospel better in my community than I did yesterday, all right? Um, so a little bit about me. I grew up on a farm in uh, Illinois, um, small, tiny area. Uh, high school was 120 people, graduating class of 30. I was the only person in my class who didn't play um, sports. There were two sports available in my school, baseball and basketball, but mostly basketball. Um, and so I, I never played a sport. I started playing piano when I was six. Uh, I was in my first play when I was uh, eight. And so that put me on a trajectory to hate running by the time I was 23. That worked out well for me. Uh, <clears throat> it was when I graduated college, I moved home, moved, moved to Champaign, Illinois, lived with my brother who also never played a sport. Um, and he was friends with this guy named Michael. And Michael had somehow talked my little brother into running a half marathon. Now something that you should know that's just a fact of life, if my little brother can do something, then I can do it. Just want you to be all aware of that. Maybe you've experienced that to some degree. Um, so when my brother told me that he was gonna run a half marathon, well, I'm signing up too. Please, I can do that. So one small mistake that I made, I never trained for that. That was maybe a <laughs> bit of a mistake or an oversight. <clears throat> so day of the race, it's July. It's in Indianapolis. It's 98 degrees. You run on the Indianapolis speedway. All a bad combination of things. I ran the first mile I thought I'm, I was going to win, maybe. <laughs> and then it turns out 13 is far. 13 miles is farther than what I had planned on. My brother caught me at mile seven and asked me if I was trying to win. I tripped him. No, I didn't. I didn't really. I didn't have the energy to trip him at mile seven. So I walked it in from like mile nine. It was pretty brutal. Um, you know, you get to the end of a race like that, I finished in about three hours, which is basically the end, and uh, <laughs> just weeping, sobbing, 
Not even kidding. That was really... They have this chip on your shoe that apparently tells me how slow I am. And this little teenager is like clipping it off at the end while I'm like weeping, trying to like lean on her. She's like, well, get away from me. What are you doing? So that was brutal. I basically swore I would never, ever run anywhere ever again. Uh, my, my friend Michael, three years later, started Team World Vision. And he, um, he was an ex-defensive end, 6'4", 270 pounds, when he ran his first marathon, when he started training for his first marathon. So he calls me three years later and he says, Brad, I want you to run another half marathon. No thank you, Michael. I tried that. No thank you. I said, well, I really need you to do it. Okay? No thank you. He said, well, you didn't even train the last time. Okay, I'm getting off the phone. So I got off the phone with him, and, my, and I was like, can you, I talked to my wife. We'd been married for about a year. Can you believe this guy? Calls me out of the blue, tells me to run a half marathon. She's like, yeah, you're getting kind of fat. <laughs> you should run, probably. Oh. So my wife and I trained for that race together, begrudgingly. Um, I found out that I can complete a half marathon, actually, much to my surprise and chagrin. Um, yeah, I found out that I could complete a half marathon, and in the process, we raised, my wife and I, between the two of us, sent out like three emails to our friends, told them that we were doing it for World Vision, and between the two of us, we, we raised about 800 bucks for a nutrition project in Zambia at the time. My second race I signed up for, and th never do this. Never do this. Never sign up for a race at the end of another race, okay? Because what happens is your brain lets out this chemical, this endorphin chemical, and then you get all excited and think that you're, like, really powerful, and then people sign you up for stuff that you're maybe not ready for. Unless it's me talking to you, then sign up for whatever I tell you to sign up for. <laughs> but if it's anybody else, don't do it. My friend Michael said, Brad, I think I know what your next race should be. I think you should run a half Ironman next year with me. Sweet. I don't know what a half Iron Man is, but that sounds awesome and strong. It sounds like I'll be strong. <laughs> I will be strong at the end of that event. And so then he kind of explains it to me a little bit. And so for those of you who don't know what a half Iron Man is, let me just tell you. It's 1.2 miles of swimming. I'm deathly afraid of water, and I've never learned to swim in my life, ever. It's 56 miles of biking. I haven't biked since I was 16. Don't own a bicycle. And then it's a half marathon, which I had just done, so that's why it's so easy. Because I had just done that. It's a piece of cake. Oh, half marathon at the end? Yeah, I just did that. Some other stuff too? Sure, I'll sign up. So uh, it was about five months later, I was like, man, I should start training. So... My buddy's a D1, Division I swimmer, Notre Dame. Now he's a swim coach at the school I was teaching at. So I was like, John, hey, can I come to your swim practice today? Yeah, sure, why? Well, I need to learn to swim, okay? <laughs> so I come to the pool. It's like a 50-meter pool outdoor. So I go back and forth like, I don't know, three times. It took me like an hour. I get out, and John's like, that was interesting. <laughs> and I was like, so what do you think then? What do you mean, what do I think? I think, no, no thank you. I was like, what do you mean, no, what, just tell me what I need to do. Brad, if you think to do it in the water, 
just do the opposite. That's all I can tell you. I don't have any other words for you. Just please don't kill yourself in the water. So I went home. I told Michael, called Michael up. Michael can't run this race. He goes, Brad, my first triathlon was an Ironman. And I didn't know how to swim, and I didn't own a bike either. So guess what? You're doing this. Also, you owe me $220 for registration. It's like multiple things here that I did wrong that you can avoid, okay? It's like a story of what not to do. I finished that race in seven hours and 55 minutes. It's an eight-hour cutoff, so it's just right under the wire. Me and two elderly women crossed the line together. It's not a joke. It's my life you're laughing at. So that was brutal. Um, My wife ran a marathon that year. I watched her come across the finish line. I also watched a bunch of people who I definitely looked stronger than come across the marathon finish line. And I started to be like, hang on a second. You didn't just run 26 miles. You cut the course somewhere, buddy. Um, Between my wife and I that year, we raised $3,500 for um, water projects in Africa. That was a surprise to me that we had done that. We didn't try all that hard as I look back on it now. Um, one of my friends, <clears throat> I sent an email to, hadn't talked to him since high school, I was about 27 at the time, sent an email out to a bunch of people and my friend, he'd never been plugged into our youth group when we were in high school, our, our, our church's youth group, he'd never been into any of that stuff. Um, and the day after I sent the email out, he went on to my like online fundraising thing and he donated $500. I hadn't talked to this guy for like six years. Bump, that's his name. Well, that's what we call him, Scott. Um, it's just incredible. Humbling, right? I, had n- I mean, I wasn't even going to donate $500. So participating in races for me transformed who I was. Um, But more importantly than that, participating in races for me transformed who I thought I was, right? Because up until that point, I would have used the word can't to say a lot of things. If somebody would have asked me, hey, do you want to come and do a swim race? I'd have been like, no, I can't. I can't swim. Well, that's not actually true. It's true at the time. I could learn to swim, right? Um, hey, you want to go on a bike ride? No, I actually don't own a bicycle, so, so I can't. Well, no, you just won't. You could go buy a bicycle or borrow a bicycle from somebody. You could. You just won't. You're just choosing not to. Uh, this actually led me into a bit of a spiral. As I, as I did a bunch of races then with Team World Vision over the coming years, um, it, it it led me into a bit of a spiral, and I started believing, man, maybe I need to start, how far do I have to run? My first race was a half marathon, then it was a half Ironman, and then it was a marathon. Now does it have to be a, an Ironman, and now, then do I have to do some kind of ultra marathon? How far do I have to run to get people to keep supporting me and making donations? Um, it's kind of all led into why am I even doing this? I started asking a lot of questions just about my own life. What am I even doing what, is this, what does this ministry even do? 
I know that it transforms me, but that's only because I wasn't a runner. What about people who are runners who are on, on our team? What about me now, now that I am a runner? Is it still transforming me? What is this? So I started to ask questions about Christianity. I started to doubt things. I was like, is this real? How can this be real? And I kind of just took a step back. I actually started reading a book called Unfinished. I didn't finish the book. It's funny. Anyway, um, like third chapter in, he, the author, Rich Stearns, he's actually president of World Vision, he, he starts asking uh, the reader to take a step back and look at the forest instead of the trees. And so I start thinking, yeah, what's the forest here in Christianity? What is God's goal? What is his purpose? Um, and here's what I came to. God's goal is really just to live in peace and joy, complete peace and joy, with all people forever. If I told some of my atheist, agnostic, Christian friends some of this, they would be like, uh, I don't know if that's right. That's not what I've heard. Uh, actually, it is right. If you just take a step back, read through the whole Bible, basically God's goal is this. He wants to hang out with all people forever in complete peace and joy. And we're kind of messing it up the whole time. Right? All right, so if that is the goal, which was a huge world shaker for me, by the way, to understand that that was actually the goal. So maybe that's your takeaway for today. Um, then the means that this happens, the means by which this happens, is the gospel, the good news. So what is the good news? What is so good about the means? Why is the means so great? Because this already seems like good news to me. I just don't understand why we just can't get to here. So there's a whole story about how screwed up we are and how screwed up I am and how much I don't really want to be in contact with God, right? And about how I reject him and I abandon him and I disregard God and the things that he asks me to do. And that's not good, right? Um, and so I get to these scriptures eventually as I'm working through this. Philippians 2, it's actually Philippians 2, like there's a little bit more in here, but um, though he was in the form of God, he did not, Jesus, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Um, why is this good news? This is good news because it tells us this, that God who wants to live forever in complete peace and joy with all people will go to this length to build that relationship. Now, if I had a friend who told me that he would not count himself as equal even to me, would empty himself completely and humble himself even to the point of death in order to build a relationship with me, I'd probably be friends with him, right? <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, think about your spouse. Think about your siblings. 
Think about your parents or children. Maybe it's a cousin. Maybe it's a grandparent. But you have a relationship with somebody that reflects this to some degree. And we get confirmation in the work of Jesus to know that our God actually is reflected just like that. The perfect character of God displayed on the cross. Uh, That is good news that God is that God and not a God who forces submission from all people. Right? He's not a tyrant. No, he's a, he is a servant. The next piece that I came to, good news, as good as this, and know that I hold these two at about the same level here, right? Character of God, and then Luke 4, 18 to 19. Jesus brings it. Just brings it. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We're waiting, Jesus. What is the good news? He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We're talking freedom for prisoners, freedom for slaves, Sight to the blind, the restoration of all things, the dead will rise. The dead will rise. That's good news, right? So if I look at the character of the man who is saying it and the content with which he says it, we have incredible good news. Okay, I'm in. I'm in, I want to do that, right? As I began to rethink Christianity and about what this was, I came to this point. I'm in, I want to do this. Then I came to this scripture in Romans. Here's how I got here. I've always read, uh, maybe been to a wedding ever, and there was something, faith, hope, and love, right? And the greatest of these is love. And I was always like, sweet, Faith and hope, I don't really know what those things are. They're kind of ambiguous, but love seems a little bit more tangible, and it says it's the best one, and I've got it, so I think I'm good to go. Nope, sorry. So then I read uh, Romans 5. Now I'm actually going to give you 1 through 5, but this 4 through 5 is here on the screen. Therefore, since we have been justified by, here's the word, faith, We have peace through God, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's faith. Oh, so easy. We love that in America. Faith, yeah, no problem. Check. I got faith. Heck yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe he's awesome. I believe he sent Jesus down. History, what the heck? Yeah, I believe it. Boom, I'm there. Not only that, Paul says, But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Hope is a result of suffering with joy. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that's why love is the best. 
but you've got to have faith first. And then there's this piece about suffering that as an American, I kind of just do this move. Maybe we can talk about that part later. I like the faith thing and the love thing. I don't know about this. Hope was always weird to start with. Now you're saying it's tied directly to pain, it sounds like. So if hope is tied directly to suffering with joy, how are you doing at that? In America, here's what I've noticed. My response is, my response to suffering is avoid it and hide it. Or some combination of of the two. Avoid it at all costs or hide it until it becomes too big of a problem that you can't hide anymore. How's your marriage? It's awesome. Just don't want to tell you about it, really. Right? How's your relationship with your mom? It's fantastic. Just please let's stop talking about it. How are the bears doing? Oh, Vikings. So I grew up in Illinois, right? Um, there, there's an amount, there's, we don't want to talk about suffering, right? What are you going to do about cancer? I'm not going to get it, right? That's the goal. No thank you. We want to hide it. We want to avoid it. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul's not only saying embrace it, he's saying when it happens, have joy in the midst of it. Have joy in the midst of it. Like, be happy about suffering. And that's where our like Western brain is like, no, that does not make sense. It does make sense. Let me tell you how it makes sense. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, you know what he envisions? The restoration of his relationship with you. So for the joy set before him, he goes to the cross. Right? So let's say that you endure suffering that does not meet any needs of anyone around you. I would argue that if you endure suffering that does not meet any needs of anyone around you, you're not proclaiming the gospel in any way. Right? We're not talking about stick a knife in your leg here and then now you know what Jesus felt like. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you intentionally endure sacrificial behavior that might cause suffering for you and very likely will. You're going to intentionally engage in sacrificial behavior that will likely cause you suffering but it will meet the needs of people around you, people in the world. Now you have a megaphone that gets the attention of every person in the community. Hang on a second, you're doing what? You're giving up half of your income for what? You're adopting a child from inner city, southern state in the United States who might have issues with addiction, because why? 
Do you see how this all of a sudden becomes a proclamation moment? Because why? Because that's what my God did for me. Because that is what my God did for the world. And because my God transforms his people to act like him. Okay. How does that relate to running? We're getting there. Getting there. It's not a stretch. Go to the next slide here. I just want to sum this up for you. All right, so if we kind of take a step back and think about this, what's the goal? The goal is peace and joy with God and the rest of humanity forever. Boom, good with that. Cool, how do we start? Have faith in God, Christ, right? Christ is the fulfillment of a promise that God made. God said, I will be with you. And then he actually is with us, right? Showed us who he really is. Not a tyrant, a loving, nonviolent, enemy loving, sacrificial being. Okay, I got faith in God. I'm there. Check. Now what? Grow in hope. Okay, skip that one. Rejoice in suffering. How? That's the question. Here's what I want to provide for you guys. I want to provide for you, and I believe, that, I believe this with all of my heart. I believe that Team World Vision is one opportunity that people can participate in that will provide you with a low-risk opportunity to practice suffering as a community. Let me, let me just kind of unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by low-risk? Running a marathon sounds, or a half marathon, any rate, running anywhere, running down the block sounds like an incredible risk. It's not. Give you an example. Hey, I think I'm going to go on a date tomorrow. Cool. Hey, I think I'm going to get married tomorrow. Hang on a second. Okay, so you've got low risk and high risk, right? Think I'm going to go on a date. Great. Think I'm going to get married. No, thank you, right? Stop. Right? Uh, I think I'm going to get a dog. Sweet. Go do it. I think I'm going to have some kids. Whoa. Put the reins on there. I've got two. Let me tell you some stuff first. <laughs> right? So the, the way that you can figure out whether something is risky or not risky is by its potential for relational damage. It's a good way that you can figure out whether something is risky or, or not. Something is high risk, it's got high potential for relational damage. If it's low risk, it's got low risk for potential relational damage. So if you're gonna go on a date, eh, might be some damage. If you're gonna get married, this is gonna be a significant covenant that you're gonna enter into, and so there's significant potential for damage. You need to have a community around you. You need to support that. Children, right? In a community. Let me tell you something. I've got two kids, like I said. She's going to be in need at some point while he is deployed. Something this community could do would be to meet sacrifice time during your day to meet a need. Proclamation of the gospel. Okay? Raising kids is hard, right? Getting married is hard. Having a dog is kind of hard. Right? <clears throat> so... So why is running a race 
low risk. Because if you don't run the race, if you get injured and, run the, and don't run, can't run the race, so? Well, your pride might be damaged or whatever, but you didn't hurt anybody, right? So that's where this transition happens, right? So, but we have to practice. What, what makes us believe that we can just be like, I think we're going to move to Africa and start a ministry in a village. Oh, Lord, please wait, right? High risk. Maybe you're ready to do that, but maybe you're not. How about let's start with doing something sacrificial in your community and a group of people who are also doing something sacrificial that meets the needs of people around them. How about we start there, we'll practice, and then we'll get better at it as we go. What's the result? Love is kindled. Oh, this is the, this is the best thing. This is the best thing. Uh, let's go to the next slide here. This is, this is love right here. Next one. This hole, a, a colleague of mine works in my office in the Twin Cities, took this picture in November of last year. Hole was providing the daily water needs to 800 people in Zambia. Shared with the livestock. Right? And when it was dry, where you got to go? An eight-hour walk. Right? Four there, four back. And all of the water, this and the water that you walk eight hours to collect, is giving your kids diarrhea that turns into dysentery that will kill them by age five. 50% mortality rate for children. Imagine if half the kids in the kids group today weren't going to come back at age five we'd be talking about an emergency, right? Next slide here. We get to meet Rebecca. Rebecca would leave home on those days at 6 a.m. and would return at 2 p.m. and never had enough water to bathe her children. I mean, I've got two kids. My kids need bathed every two minutes, you know? Next slide. Because of Team World Vision runners and World Vision donors, her community now has a solar-powered borehole well. Delivers water to more than 1,500 people in her community, including her daily needs. That old water source, irrigating a community vegetable garden that she's in charge of. Next slide. I want you to see this quote from Rebecca. We went so far for water, the children seldom bathed. We feel like human beings. We feel like human beings. To welcome a person back into the community of humanity, to recognize that they are human, made in God's image, to do that through sacrificial decision-making. This is love. This is how we proclaim to our community. Do you know how many people we brought clean water to? Let me tell you. And it was hard. And we did it anyway, and we loved it. Um, 
So we'll go through a couple more pictures here of some people who've done this with us. I just want you to see how possible this is. We're going to invite you as a community. I think in the first service we had almost 100 people sign up on a summer Sunday. 100 people sign up to go from the couch to the finish line. That's right. You heard me right. From the couch to the finish line. You're like, ah, you don't understand. I hate running. Perfect. You know what Moses hated doing? Speaking. Yeah. You know what? Abraham was 100 and then had a bunch of kids. I mean, that's the story, right? So just recognize God always chooses to work his biggest efforts through the most unlikely channels. That is the way he works. Look, look through scripture. He always works his biggest achievements through the most unlikely channels. So if you're sitting there saying, you don't understand, then I hope you hear God saying, no, you don't understand. This is Nora, L.A. last year, 50 years old, moved to action, not a marathoner, completing the race. Next slide there. It's my buddy Thad. Thad used to weigh 320 pounds. That there on the right, that's Michael Chitwood. He started Team World Vision. They were friends before this ever, but before Team World Vision ever happened, and Thad has fought depression for most of his life. Um, he engaged with Team World Vision, and it saved his marriage, and it saved his um, sanity. And he dropped a ton of weight doing it, too. I think his doctors are happy. I think his brain is happy, too. Go to the next one. Here's Joe and Tina from Chicago restoring their marriage. They'd never run a race before. They decided, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to do it together. Been married for a long time, but it could get better. So they endured suffering together to meet the needs of people around them. The next slide, you can see one of the big teams that we had in L.A. this year. This is just an example, guys. Um, so here's what we're going to do. After the service today, we're going to meet for just about 10 minutes right down here. 10 minutes. And I want to give you the information. If this at all is compelling to you, then I want you to consider joining the team. I want you to come and find out more about what it is that we're doing. Um, this is an incredible way to display for our community how God, our God, is a sacrificial being meeting the needs of his people and that we are transformed into the same type of people, okay? Uh, so I hope you'll join us after the service for just a few minutes as we talk more about what the next steps are. Uh, let me pray for us. God, I thank you for meeting our needs. I uh, thank you for showing us who you truly are, for dispelling all myths, for dispelling all um, wrong characteristics about who you are and showing us on the cross. I pray that we would be moved today in whatever means 
to act more sacrificial as a community. And yes, that might mean enduring suffering. Maybe it's running a race. Maybe it's adopting a kid. Maybe it's whatever it is. I pray that you would equip us to endure that, bring our community around us, um, and let us proclaim that that is the gospel. That is the gospel. That is the good news, and we're here to share it with the world. Um, We love you, and we pray that you would um, honor the rest of our time here today. In your name, amen.